good morning. My name is Melissa Hunter Davis, founder of Sugarcane Magazine, and this is This Week in Caribbean Art and Culture. And of course, I am always here with the best hostesses in the world, starting with Maria. Hi, I'm Marianne Ortiz, curator currently at the Paris Art Museum, Miami. Hi, I'm Suzanne Fredericks, founder of Suzy Wong Presents. All right, guys. So we have a, a wonderful show today, and we're going to start off with the news as we always do. And we lost someone um, very special this week. Um, so a side note, sometimes we talk about things that you guys don't actually hear that don't go online. And so we were talking about uh, Carmen Herrera, and I mentioned how I learned about her um, through the New York Times, some some very many years ago um and she just passed so maria is going to kind of give us a rundown for those of you who are not familiar with her work or the, her career trajectory you know maria is going to give us a little bit of background about her work and her her history so thank you melissa you know carmen herrera she is a she was an artist who was born in 1915 so if you know that, if you do the math, uh, she was 106 when she passed away um, just a couple of days ago. And she was really a pioneer in the sense that she was an artist that was creating minimal geometric uh, paintings at the same time that the, you know, the most recognized American male artists in the, in Latin American artists were making uh, similar work. So she was very much an artist of her time and conversation with people like Sol Witt, Donald Judd, and others from um, Latin America as well. And however, you know, she got her first retrospective in New York at the age of, I believe it was like 103 um, or something, or maybe, maybe 102. Like um, I have to kind of double check on that number, but all this to say that this woman was creating excellent, beautiful paintings that were, you know, generally ignored by the mainstream canon until very, very late in her, in her career. And I think that not only her work is, it's of course breathtaking. And we actually have a working in the collection of the museum that I work at, the Paris Museum in Miami. And her work now is heavily collected by institutions across the world and so on. But it kind of, but her story is also a story of like the typical women's struggle and Latin, Latin struggle and Caribbean struggle of artists who are great, yet they're not recognized for what they're doing until very late in, in their life. And I, you know, as a woman, as a Latina, as somebody from the Caribbean, I always struggle, you know, oh, how can I do so many things? How can I, you know, be a mother, be a creator, be a writer, be all this stuff. And then you see the life of Carmen Herrera and you're like, oh, wait a minute, this woman <laughs> was everything of those things and did it gracefully. So there's no, she's not, to me, she's not only a model in terms of her artistry, but also in terms of our humanity, which is something that, um, that I greatly appreciate. Do you think her life would have been different? Her life as an artist would have been different if maybe she had not been in New York? No, I think that being a woman um, is a big deal in the art world. I mean, till this day, till this day, women, the art produced by women is priced less than art produced by males. Um, 
Latin art is actually at the moment priced less than um, African-American art. So I think that there is, um, you know, I think that, 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 that she would, have, as a woman, she would have experienced, I would venture to, to say, a similar degree of, um, of, of, you know, invisibility, especially in, in Latin, in Latin. I mean, if you think about, if you think about um, production from Latin America, often a lot of males come to mind and the woman artists that do great work, um, a lot of them, you know, I believe they're like tough women, you know, they're strong because they have to be strong to gain visibility in those contexts. So um, I, I don't think that um, being in New York necessarily was a hindering. I do think that, um, you know, being a Latina in, in the US or a Latino in the US is always, you know, if the Latin American market is cheaper than other markets, the Latino market is even cheaper or more devalued, significantly more devalued than the, the Latin American market. So I think that maybe in that sense, it would add to, to that. But at the same time, I think that that we do need to acknowledge more artists like her, because I think that, especially when it comes to, to Latinos in this country, um, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a big community that is, is completely underrepresented in mainstream media. And, um, and they're a big group. They're actually the biggest minority in the country. Um, and there's more to be understood about that reality. But that's so, a great question. You mentioned that Pam has one of her pieces in the collection. Is that piece on view right yes. now? Yes, okay. yes, on view right now. So go check it out, it's on view right now. It's this beautiful painting uh, called Alba, which um, in recent research that we actually were able to do thanks to the Caribbean Cultural Institute initiative, we found out that it refers to a place in France that um, she used to visit. So it has like a very beautiful um, uh, biographical note. I love it. And then for those of us who are not in South Florida, is there a way to view that online? Yes. So um, very, very soon, we're actually going to launch a new website with our online collection and that work is going to be there. So I'll keep you guys posted or DM me. Thank you. Susie, I don't know if you had anything else to add on this subject. Um, with, with, um, with Carmen, I mean, I, I've only recently um, learned of her not being in the US and and having that kind of access. And I wondered, I wondered, and maybe I'll just put this question to you, whether her Cubanness, her Caribbeanness, um, you think hindered her success, seeing as she sold her first piece of work at 89 years old and struggled, like you say, for visibility and presence and the kind of respect the work really deserved. I mean, do you think? Her, her identity and her heritage and the definition around that within the US um, art world impacted her in any way negatively or positively or any way at all? I think that um, in a positive way, it impacted the sense that, you know, like a lot of uh, Cuban artists and Latin American artists that are in New York would see her and would treat her with reverence and would see her as an icon. Mm -hmm. So she built, she, she really was, you know, kind of a mother to a lot of great artists that are like Derita Fernandez, for example, that we admire today, or Carlos Mota as well. At the same time, do I think that her identity, um, uh, you know, do, do I think that her identity 
made for other people to ignore her and devalue her? Yes, of course. Um, uh, I think that certainly for better or worse, and I think that's part of the moment that we're living now, we're in this moment in which museums and institutions and markets are being tested and people are wanting more visibility of who they are in those spaces. And the only way to do that is to have more people of color in those areas. Mm -hmm. So, so, and in general, I think in general, moving forward, you know, if we don't include people like us in those areas, there's always somebody that's going to be left behind. That is great. That is yeah. fantastic. And that, you know, shouldn't be wait until 104 or 100 or 100 or whatever to, to, to have a retrospective. I mean, I believe Bruce Nauman had his retro first retrospective at MoMA before age 30. Oh, wow. You know, so um, how do, why do that, why did that happen? What, you know? Okay. Gotcha. So those are all questions that we need to really think about. And, you know, let her life be um, an example, first of all, to never give up. You're starting to see a lot of, you know, on social, like a lot of these memes, you know, saying that, you know, to redefine success, um, you can find the success that you want at any time in your life. And clearly she found hers then. But also a cautionary tale to very carefully look at the people in your, your sphere who are doing good work and making sure that you're providing opportunities for them so that they are not waiting till age of 89 to actually be acknowledged for their brilliance, both of which we can work on. Next up, the Venice Biennale, everybody is talking about it. I was on social last night and there was a group of people who were going and talking about all of the, the shows that they wanna see and they were talking about the locals and what they're doing. So it sounds like April 25th, which is when the Venice Biennale opens, is going to be a good time. Hopefully, I can go. Maria, are you going? Susie, are you going? I was planning to go. I was planning to go. We have the Airbnb booked and just with life and everything, I've decided not to go. I know, I know, but I just can't. I have so much happening and I'm traveling in May and then again in July and it just feels like too much. I can't leave home for that long, unfortunately. <laughs> oh Next thing you know, I changed my mind though, so maybe. I know, yeah, that happened to me recently. <laughs> um, um, I, I wanna go, but I haven't, I, I'm planning my, you know, I'm going to Arco next week. So I'm thinking about that. Actually, it's two days from now, Saturday. So, okay. um, um, but I wanna go, I would, I would like to go, but I haven't planned it yet. Are you gonna go, Melissa? Um, so I said that I will go. Um, there are some, there is an, a local artist from Miami who will be there. So he's not a part of the Venice Biennale proper. It's Morel Doucette. Um, but his gallery is doing an exhibit in Venice during that time. And I would really like to go to support not only him, but also his gallery. His gallery is Gallery Murtis, based out of Baltimore, gallery owned by Black women. I would love to just go and support them. But also, there's a lot of artists that I would like to see. Um, and then the Venice Biennale is huge. So they, you know, they do arts, they do architecture. And I believe that there is a theater component that happens later on during the year. And as much as I want to go see the visual art, I really want to go see the theater component. So the short answer is I want to go. The longer answer is I don't know if I'm going. 
<laughs> but, but we can talk about the artists who will be there. Um, and there's a long list. So Susie, you sent us a story. Tell us a little bit more about it. Um, yeah, they announced um, last week the um, International Art Exhibition uh, for the Viennese Biennale because, you know, normally it's pavilions, country pavilions, and countries have spaces in which they curate and present artists from their own uh, spaces. Um, the International Exhibition is curated by Cecilia Alemani this year, and it's... Um, curatorially, she's used the, the Leonora Carrington, the surrealist painter, um, one of her books, um, The Milk of Dreams. Um, and I think it's really interesting because it's it's a quite terrifying children's book illustrated by her. And it really looks at humanity, the future of humanity, the crisis around life, how to, how to differentiate species um, in real ways from each other in terms of consciousness, subconscious, et cetera. And um, there's some Caribbean inclusion there, which is why I thought it was interesting. Um, so, you know, it, it's Haiti and Cuba. So um, she's, it's interesting because there's um, Merlande Constant, who's a flag maker, who's amazing. Um, and she, of course, brings in a lot of the voodoo imagery, et cetera, in her work. Franz Zeffirin, similarly, he deal, you know, a lot of his work is very fantastical and portal based. It's all about, you know, different levels of consciousness and, and um, existence. And then we have Belkisayon from Cuba, who we all know and love. Yes. And uh, Fairly Baez from Dominican Republic. So although I think, I think it's like 213 artists, artists from 58 countries, um, I think there could be more Caribbean presence, maybe perhaps more contemporary work, um, because so much of our visual culture engages with ideas like that. And of course, we're at the forefront of the climate crisis in terms of threat and vulnerability. So um, that said, I'm still really happy to see these artists included. And then of course, you know, we have the, the pavilions. We have Alberta Whittle representing Scotland, Simone Lee representing the USA, and Sonia Boyce for the UK. Yes. Which I think is pretty, that's why I wanted to go. You know, it's like a first, it's like, you know, transformative really in the narratives around art from these, these countries. So Jamaica has never had a pavilion? Uh, no, no, people have tried to persuade me to do one to because I've been to the Venice Biennial when they did the Diaspora Biennial from the UK. And I believe they, they have another pavilion, this, this, this edition. Um, and I was doing quite a lot of work in the UK at the time and to kind of, you know, network and create relationships. A good friend of mine said to me, listen, you know, just come to the diaspora biennial, um, pavilion at the biennial. Um, and I did, and they're there again today. It's hugely expensive. I'm not sure how, I mean, I know it's meaningful work and people, you know, but it, it's a real privileged access to get to Venice to view this, you know? And I just thought my money or anyone's investment in Jamaican art or the work that I was doing certainly could be more impactful elsewhere. Okay. You know, I mean, the, the dream is, I mean, because, you know, Ghana, I think had their first pavilion in the last edition, yes. you know, huge kudos, um, put them on the map, you know, in terms of the art press and thinking around Africa. Um, so I shouldn't write it off, but you know, it would require government support and significant investment. Okay. So that, that's the challenge really. 
Grenada. Grenada always has a pavilion. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we'll support them for sure. All right. <laughs> so, but I would love to see, I would love to see you do that. I think that you would do a phenomenal job. We'll yeah, it would atmosphere. Be Somebody wants to invest. Me too. Somebody <laughs> wants to give. <laughs> and and I'll go team. when you do it, Susie. Okay, great. I'll plan for next time then. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, Philip, Camille, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Um, we're here to talk about the third edition of the I Resume the Struggle exhibition here in Jamaica, which you both curated and staged at the, the, Olympia, the Olympia Gallery. Um, this edition, um, it's 16 artists, I believe, involved. Yes. Yeah intergenerational it's really interesting in the the kind of choice of artists you put together um i think it's really interesting also how you do it as a series you know different editions different different inclusions and stuff so from a curatorial perspective i was wondering um the title i resume the struggle what is the struggle and what are you resuming? <laughs> <laughs> well the um the title came from uh, samuel beckett's play um, waiting for Godot. And there's an interesting line in it where uh, one guy says to the other guy, uh, when he's trying to take his shoes off, that he somehow failed to do it. And I resumed the struggle, right? And so that line became an interesting um, talking point into how we're going to go about managing the pandemic and the subsequent struggles that artists are going to find themselves having in this very, very complicated time. And so that's sort of where the title came from, you know, the sort of place of not knowing what's going to happen. And so uh, waiting for Godot was sort of the perfect uh, launch pad for such a, a complicated situation that we found ourselves uh -huh. in. Interesting. Yeah. How have you found um, the, the kind of market response to the shows in context to COVID, in context to kind of the restrictions we're under? Um, perhaps first I should ask, have you found that the work artists are making um, speak directly to the COVID crisis? No, um, and, and I think the shows aren't necessarily curated to speak specifically to the pandemic. It's, it's kind of, we're providing a space for artists to show their work. And, you know, when we started in 2020, a lot of artists had been, you know, had exhibitions that were postponed and, there wasn't anything that was happening since March, which the last exhibition in March 2020 was Katrina Foom's exhibition at the Jean Pearson Gallery, which ended up closing completely and it was only open for like a week. So we wanted to be a space that people could show the work that they were doing. And if that happened to touch on the pandemic or you know things that come up about isolation and things like that, then that's how it goes. But we found that along the way, it's it's been without a theme and it's it still, you know, people are making overlapping themes. And so that's, that's an interesting thing that happens. But in terms of collecting, I think, you know, the show has, has had a, a, a decent collection base um, despite everything that's going on with the pandemic. And I was thinking you both as practicing artists, I mean, I love your work, Camille in the show. We all live under the same sky. Um, as a development from the installation you did in the last edition, which was the very, the very physical construction. Um, 
which is hard to describe. If you could just describe it a bit for the listeners and maybe speak to we all live under the same sky and the kind of ideas around that. Sure. So, yeah, the, the first piece, um, it was an installation made of cement blocks that we use here in Jamaica. It's got the, the two openings. Um, and I assembled a couple of, of those blocks that had um, videos being shown in some of the windows using like a, a tablet and also printed images. And so everything was lit from behind. And so all the, the windows kind of looked like there were little TV screens. Um, and the, the general idea or theme or, you know, I was thinking about um, a lot of heritage sites in Jamaica, just thinking about this idea of whose, whose perspective um, do we use to define ourselves um, as a culture? So like the, the heritage sites are, are spoken of as these kind of um, exquisite, beautiful places, but then they, they leave out the dark history of the, 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 these were plantations that have now mm -hmm. become golf courses and things like that. So then, so the work that's, that was in the show this year, um, we all live under the same sky. It's kind of continuing that conversation about um, we all live under the same sky, but what's going on with the land kind of thing like what's what do we do and yeah what is life underneath exactly so it's it's kind of thinking of, I'm thinking about that and um it's it's uh this work is a uh it's a collage really it's um made up of printed images um and printed images of blocks and so on so um yeah, th that was the basic theme of it. Well, I, it's really fantastic. It's powerful, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I wanted to ask also. I mean, you're both you both teach at the art school. You're pretty much immersed here. Um, was this show? I mean, clearly it was driven by a need for with the changing landscape here. And I'm going to speak directly to the Jamaican context um, in terms of spaces for artists to show. Um, this is an intergenerational exhibition, um, predominantly young though. A lot of recent graduates from the art school like Brad Pinnock, Shadeen Fletcher, Xavier Horton, et cetera. Um, what do you think it takes to make success happen for a young artist? We lose so many between graduation, uh, as soon as they graduate and with, without the infrastructure and the kind of ecosystem necessary, um, which this show really contributes to uh, a foundational part of the next step. Um, what do you think young artists need to do to really um, gain some of the kind of success that you've both seen in various ways? Do you think an MFA is crucial? Do you think going away is crucial? These are my kind of questions. Well, um, I'll start with, the, the, when I was a student at the Edna College, one of the things that would never really happen was uh, the lecturers showing works of art with recent graduates or even people at the institution. And so what that did was that it created a kind of uh, a divide between these hierarchies in, in terms of levels of professional expertise or exposure. Mm -hmm. I think that's one, one of the main things that um, I think this show seeks to change, whereby, and this is why you see in such a broad cross-section of artists, 
uh, even though they're predominantly young, but they're also in varying uh, levels of, of mm -hmm. professionalism. And so that is in a way giving them a platform to you know, execute or really continue from where they left off at Edna Manley College. And so what usually happens is that oftentimes when students graduate, there is a sort of dramatic fall off and you don't see them again for a couple of years. And mm -hmm. so, and those, those years are really the most difficult years for artists to really continue our practice. So this exhibition kind of allows a kind, an interesting launching pad. And I'm interested to see how those artists, people like Brad, people like, you know, people that you mentioned, how the exhibition has created a, a space for them to breathe, mm -hmm. as it were. And so that's you know, really the, the, the linchpin of what I'm trying to achieve with that particular set of exhibition. And what do you see um, for the future of the series? Do you, do you um, is it going to continue as is in the, with the same kind of um, goals that you're achieving so far? Or do you see change on the horizon? Well, um, it's a learning process. I mean, myself and Camille and, and the other guys, uh, I should mention uh, Kimani Beckford, uh, Greg Bailey and John Campbell, who are also part of the core group of people that are putting on these shows. Okay. Um, we, we're not curators in the formal sense of the term. It's an artist-led initiative. And so there's a lot of learning on the ground that's happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you're as you're learning how to, you know, produce these exhibitions, there are things that you know you adjust as you go. And so, you know, to answer your question, it's really a matter of um, fine tuning some of the really good ideas that we had initially initially. And so that will allow us to perpetuate and continue the exhibitions. So I think, I mean, this year is going to be a complicated year because myself and Camille, and I think Greg Bailey also is in the Kingston Biennial. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, producing multiple exhibitions, not just as artists, but artists cur slash curators is its own challenge in a way. And so that might create some sort of problem that we're trying to figure out how to work through now. Okay, Maria, Melissa, do you have any questions for Philip and Camille? Yeah, no, thank you, Philip and Camille. Like, it just sounds like a very um, um, kind of timely and locally, like, sensible project. And I think that um, now with the pandemic, you know, we haven't really been traveling a lot. But I think that moments like this, it's, it's great to get, like, an island update. And I think that, like, my question was, how does this exhibition for you guys uh, represents kind of the island update of what the local scene is right now in, in Kingston. Shadow, you want that one? The island update. When you said the island update, what do you mean in terms of just, you know? In terms of like, you know, in the past, um, we would we would travel to to biennials or to different things to get to know what's going on with the artists in Jamaica. Now mm -hmm. we're not doing that. Um, I mean, prohibited that, but also um, you know some of us even change our behaviors. But however, we have mm -hmm. spaces like this conversation now where we actually all get together and discuss some uh, exhibition that's right now happening 
in in Kingston. So that's actually quite enriching. So that's what I mean, like um, uh, how this exhibition um, represents that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that we're we've been really active, and I think every all the artists that are are showing in these exhibitions, they're 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 making works about their concerns now. So like this this is like the um, the current basically, um, and I think even I, I would say that having this having these series of exhibitions, it seems like even in December, there are like a lot of exhibitions that happened here in Kingston um, when I think previously things were kind of, kind of quiet. So like maybe the, maybe I don't want to like take any credit for it, but it seems like there's, yeah, like a, a rush of new exhibitions happening around us. And that was, that was really interesting to observe Like people were able to gallery hop kind of for the first time in a long time. Um, but yeah, I think, we have a lot of really established artists in, in our exhibitions and they're, they're really solid in whatever their, their concerns are that they're making. Well, I would, I would add to uh, take the credit. I, I would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, take the credit. A lot of work. A lot of work, but well, people underestimate how much work exhibitions are, you know, so kudos to you guys. Well, uh, Cheddar is kind of modest in that way, but, um, you know, what, what she means, though, is that the, the, um, the, the exhibition created this moment where almost everybody saw that it was possible immediately. And so it just created this explosion of exhibitions that, um, yeah. I mean, to gallery up in a time like this in Jamaica is really an interesting experience. I have to say, as someone who gallery hops <laughs> these days, <laughs> it was really interesting. And I find the landscape, how it's changing um, according to the needs of artists is really changing. So like creative space mm -hmm. coming up as a kind of like, very loose freelance space that artists can utilize for their, their smaller exhibitions and maybe more focused exhibitions. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a really positive, I think um, positive development. And I would say the, the update from my point of view, Maria, seeing the work within the show is all the various ideas the artists are working with, um, I find really fascinating. I find Brad's work very interesting and yeah. Shadeen Fletcher, Kimani I've always found interesting. Um, and I would say the programming around the exhibition has really, has really been very good. So if, if either one of you could tell us about where to find the artist talks or maybe virtual tours, anything like that, that our listeners could kind of like tap in and see the work. Sure, yeah, um, that's been one of the, the great areas is that we've been doing these artist talks since the very beginning and yeah. we live stream them on our Instagram um, which is at resume the struggle. Um, so yeah, all our all our um, artist talks are are archived there. We've had over seven talks to date, I think, um, and with groups of artists, there's different groups of artists in each of these talks. Um, so yeah, everything is on our Instagram page at resume the struggle. Are there any plans to eventually tour this show? 
I know that there's been several iterations. Have, are there any plans in the future to maybe bring this to the States or maybe to Europe? Yes, that's a quick answer. Philip, you can probably develop on that. <laughs> no, it, it, is, it, is, it is a quick answer. We actually talked about how to go about um, getting a sort of group exhibition touring. Um, but like, as I said before, um, we're learning as we go. And so, I mean, the pitfalls that you get into just putting on an exhibition here can be quite complicated. So imagine multiplying that with a traveling exhibition. So, you know, you just have to try and figure it out as you go, but absolutely, yes. I would like the opportunity for, for this exhibition to be a, a kind of touring exhibition where we can do multiple things in different places. Yeah. And um, Susan, you had asked before about what young artists need to do like to, mm -hmm. to continue on. Mm. And um, the question of having an MFA or anything like that, but I, mm. I, I've come to realize I don't know if, well, I feel like an MFA is really important because it, it definitely helped me um, to be a, a lot more, um, I don't know, confident in, in whatever I was doing and just gave me a foundation in certain, certain um, discourses and so on. But um, I also don't think it's like it's, it has to be done. Um, I think mm -hmm. a lot of artists are thriving without an MFA and it's just about taking your initiative to, to, be, to be very active um, and to look for opportunities and doing residences, doing studio visits and just talking to people, attending exhibitions as much as possible. <laughs> and, um, and, and possibly, you know, like a lot of people who, who leave the art school you'll have a group of friends, you know, keep, mm -hmm. keep, they should keep in touch with their friends and try to, to um, collaborate on doing an exhibition. I know spaces are really expensive to rent, but maybe that's one way to, to, um, to beat that is to just collaborate or the group, group showings and so on. Um, and just, yeah, keep, keep active. Cause the, I think like if you went to art school, you would have been given certain tools and gotten the techniques and things like that and the conceptual mm -hmm. framework. And then it's just for you now to, to um, take your initiative and, and move forward. Mm -hmm. I know MFAs are also really difficult because it requires a huge, um, <laughs> huge. Requires concepts yeah. and funding. Yeah. And yes, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that was the reason for my question because it is such a challenge to be able to access that. I mean, it's a privilege to be able yeah. to, even mm -hmm. access scholarships and etc. You know, so that's fine. I, I do find that the this particular question changes from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a while ago, it was almost a definite that you need to have an MFA, and then as the generations change, as the you know the boom of the internet and things like that, where people, but it depends on how. I mean, earlier in the discussion, you guys were talking about how does one define success or redefine success. Sometimes um, there's some people that really enjoy scholarship study, you mm -hmm. know, I mean? like inquiry mm -hmm. in that way. And then another set of artists that just, you know, wants to have an art career. And that's a se separate thing from really a rigorous study. Um, and so some, it's different for different personalities. And, you know, each person can go about it the way they want to. Mm -hmm. 
feel me? Yeah, I, I want to add there that I think that, you know, we often forget in this industry that there's a lot of different ways to be an artist, a lot of different yeah. ways to be a curator, to be a, a gallerist and whatnot. And I think, yeah, that all those different roles that you, the type of artist you want to be, might require uh, different skill sets and different programs. So that to me, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I want to ask a question also about the type of work that um, that you that I would see if I was in the show. Like more specifically, I'm thinking, is it like, is it a range of like abstraction to uh, works that deals with Jamaican identity? Like what are like the major themes in the exhibition? And uh, yeah. Um, I say, uh, I think a lot of people are interested in in identity and um, post-colonial ideas. Um, also, you have autobiography, so Pet Petrona right. Morrison and um, Sasha K. Hines, um, who both happen to work in digital media, um, were were considering their their selves um, and their bodies, um, and. What else, Philip? I, I would add, um, you know, somebody like uh, like Brad, for instance, or or Tevin, who's Tevin, uh, yeah. Tevin uh, Tishana, who's interested in in biology, and and the way how the and the way ecologies, you know, under attack now, under a sort of assault. And so there, I mean, there are a very broad range of artists that are dealing with varying subjects but a lot of it as Camille said has a kind of uh, post-colonial underpinning but it, you see them in different ways appearing in different generations of artists so that's one interesting thing you know I've seen the works develop. Um, I would say that you guys have produced a catalogue um, online so maybe you could give a link for that so people could see some of sure. the work read about the artists. Yeah sure. Yeah, we can probably post it on the on the episode page, right, Melissa? We can, and we'll um, also put this under the review. So if you go to the review, at the bottom of the review is actually a link for the catalog. They have it published okay. to Issue, which is spelled I-S-S-U. So okay. realistically, it's probably issu.com forward slash, and I resume the struggle. So Yes, something like that, yeah. So you can visit there, but it's also under the story, which is on Sugar Cane's page. And what I will do is I will pin it to the top so that people know to go there. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both so much for coming. Um, Melissa, do you have any questions? Any, I mean, should we? No, can wrap up, but for those of, um, for the listeners who um, maybe will have a chance to go to Jamaica within the next few weeks, where exactly can they find the exhibit? Mm. Well, it's, it's actually closed now, but <laughs> yeah. So besides the, the catalog, is there any place online that they can see any images? Sure. And on, on, on our Instagram page. At on your personal Instagram page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you can listen to all the interviews there as well. So on your Instagram page as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we can find <laughs> Philip Thomas. We can find you at Phyllis Thomas Art on Instagram. Camille, where can we find your work? Um, at Camille Cheddar. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we will be sure to send everyone to your Instagram pages. Also, you can find more information about 
the exhibition um, and the review at sugarcanemag.com. We will make sure that have the link somewhere for you to actually get to it. And it will definitely be pinned into the top on our page. Ladies and gents, thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, Susie, where can we find you on Instagram? Um, at Susie Wong Presents. Maria, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at Contemporary Chica. And you can also follow Sugarcane Magazine at Sugarcane Magazine on Instagram. But we, before we go, we ask you to do a few things. Be sure that you subscribe, that you download, that you leave comments. Give us a ratings. Give us five tar stars, 10 stars, 20 <laughs> stars, 50,000 stars. <laughs> the, the most that you can give. Give all of that. And we look forward to talking to you soon. We are taking a break next week. Maria will not be with us. She will be off in Europe, darling, being fabulous. But we will be back here the first week of March. Thank you so much for your time. And we will talk to you soon. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.